Welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I am so glad that you are here for this conversation today because my guest is one of my absolute favorite people. Wow, is she full of wisdom and insight. And the format of today's episode is a little bit different, as you may have noticed. It's a longer episode because it's showing up on two podcast feeds, and we have highlighted important elements of both shows, both being at work and Conscious Habit Podcast, hosted by today's guest, Amy Woodall. And let me tell you something about my friend Amy. So I have huge respect for this woman and the way in which she lives her life. And as you'll hear, she is an incredibly gifted communicator. So it's no wonder that she hosts a popular podcast and is a renowned global keynote speaker. And as you'll hear, she's in the process of writing a book. But more than all of that, Amy is doing the work. Her wisdom and insight flow from her own practices. She knows that in order to achieve lasting change, we must focus on the root cause, how we communicate with self. And we'll talk a lot today about the relationship with self. It's a key, key part of our conversation. Listen in as we talk personally about our own journeys. We both care so much about empowering people. We both work really hard to model that for the people that we serve and the people in our lives. We both have a lot going on. We're both moms and business leaders and very active in our communities and our families. So it's just so good. We have a podcast. It's so good to hop on and riff and see what magic we can create together. And I ask every guest about a pivotal moment in their lives that taught them a lot about themselves and their leadership, because I know that we learn from experience and there's always good leadership nuggets then that we can pull out. So I can't wait to hear a story that taught you a lot about you. So I shared with you offline that I'm in the process of writing a book that I've talked about for forever, by the way. And we all eventually get so tired of hearing our own shit that we're like, I think I'm going to do something about this. I'm tired of talking about it. So in writing the book, I've had to reflect on some pretty like pivotal moments. And big lesson I have is from a parenting moment. So one I am not proud of. This has been about a decade ago. I remember that I was picking up a mess in the living room, as you do when you have kids, because they have toys and clothes and shoes everywhere. And we were in a phase in our lives where my boys did not want to sleep in their rooms. No, they would have much rather have slept on the couch, which meant every night there were pillows and blankets and it looked like a tent city in my damn living room. And so I'm on a rampage one morning, I think late to a meeting, I'm trying to pick things up because they're in the way and I'm folding blankets and I'm kicking army guys and stacking pillows. And my son is sitting on the couch and I go to pick up a fan because one of my kids is a fan sleeper. He's got to have a fan three inches from his face <laughs> when he sleeps. I go to move this fan and it's tangled, wrapped around the table and it's tangled around three different cables. And I was flustered. I'm like yanking and I can't get it. And finally, by the time it became free, I picked that bitch up and I hurled it across the room, hurled it like the She-Hulk, just right and I remember coming to because I totally lost it. 
and looking at my son's face and his eyes were like the size of a half dollar. It was giant. And then he just started laughing at me. And I don't know if in the fit of rage you've ever had someone laugh at you, but it's both infuriating and humiliating, the fact that my eight-year-old son was laughing at me. But that's a moment, I don't know if I knew it at that time, but I think really quickly after that, I realized I was the type of person who held other people hostage to my emotions. I would do that with my family and feel like I was justified, like they did this. So obviously this is my reaction. I would do it with colleagues. I would do it with folks that I led. And I realized that is so unfair. No one should have to walk on eggshells because of my emotional fragility. I have to learn how to own and regulate that. And how I feel is nobody's fault but my own. How did you come to that? Because in the moment, you lost it. And your whole book is about losing your shit and then reclaiming it. So how did you come to that? I think it was probably Tim Roberts, who's been a longtime mentor of mine. I feel like he was giving me advice without saying, you need this advice. He said, gosh, I just read the most interesting thing from Abraham Hicks. In one of her recordings, she was saying, it's interesting how you make other people responsible for your happiness. And when he said that line, I knew it was for me, but he was just putting it out there, being like, it's here for the taking. And I had this, oh, I do that. And I was on a journey of trying to just learn myself more. I think I was already on a journey of working to become aware because that's the thing. It's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. If we don't create space between the action and the awareness of the action, we'll never be able to see it. So I think I was in this space of creating awareness through practices like meditation. And he said that to me. So that was my moment. And it's so empowering, isn't it? For that acknowledgement that, okay, I'm in charge of how I'm feeling and what's going on. It's so empowering. Man, do we get hooked by other people's stuff. And I'm curious to hear from you, Andrea, because that moment of empowerment can also be scary. Do you have a time when you remember being like, oh, wow, I'm responsible for more than I thought I was? Yeah, I think the frustrations with your kids, that's so relatable. I mean, I can think of so many moments where my kids have looked at me with those half dollar eyeballs, just like your son did you. And you know, in that moment, like, OK, this is not how I want to show up. And then there's always this moment of this shame cycle I can get into, like, shit, I'm not a good mom. I'm not this. I'm not that. Here I am, like, trying to teach other people how to be the best versions of themselves and look at me. So it's also recognizing that is not going to be helpful. It's like, okay, I got to own this. I've got to apologize for it and be better for it as a result. Well, and I think the road any person is on if they're working to get better, I don't know that we ever get to like the, oh, I've just got it all figured out and I always own it and I'm always so kind to myself, but I think we build better tools in the toolbox. So in the tools that you've developed for yourself, when you find yourself going down the I shoulds, the shoulding on yourself, the shame spiral, all of that, because you're human, what do you do? How do you get yourself back on track? I find a better feeling thought because those thoughts feel awful. And so I try to grasp for something, even if it's just, oh, my, this chair feels really cozy right now. Or 
you know what? I'm so grateful for my friendship with Amy. I'm just going to focus on that, trying to use my brain, trying to use my thoughts and recognize I don't have to believe that really awful one that makes me feel like shit. I don't have to believe that. I can let that go. And I love what you're saying about releasing ourselves from this thought that there's going to be a day when that's not going to be my experience. My daughter has really been struggling with anxiety. She has her whole life, but really the last few weeks, it's been particularly challenging. And she had a moment the other night where she was crying and she was saying like, I'm just so tired of this. When will I not feel this way? And intuitively, I answered her honestly. I said, I don't know that that's a day. I think instead of when will I, it's how can I in this moment work to be better and trust that life will unfold as it does. I think this being human thing, we all have our own ideas of how it came to be. But I remind myself like, hey, when I agreed to do this human thing, that means I agreed to all of it. It was the full spectrum, not like, oh, OK, I'll do this human thing, but I only want the good stuff. That's it. Only the good stuff. None of the bad stuff. And I am on a more recent journey within the last couple of years of learning how to feel my emotions and not think my way through them because I thought for the longest time that emotions were meant to be fixed. And I'm realizing like, oh, when we give ourselves space to just feel what's asking to be felt and not getting our mind involved because the mind loves to create the story and then the story gets us in the spiral. But when we just leave room for it to be felt almost like we're holding a child that needs some love or a scared little puppy or whatever it is that feels easiest to give that empathy and compassion to when we hold our emotions like that, not only do they move through us faster, but we get the opportunity to feel human. And that is really cool when we're like, wow, it also gives us this flip of I'm not at the mercy of my emotional state. It's good information and good insight. It's there for a reason. I can just hold space with it and we're going to get through it. Living a good life means living all of it, the whole spectrum. Yeah, it's experiencing fully, isn't it? I have feelings wheels all over my house. I've got one here behind me. I even have a pillow with the feelings wheel right in my home office. As a reminder of that, tap into the full spectrum of emotions and go deeper is it really anger that I'm feeling or is it embarrassment that I'm feeling or is it insignificance that's showing up as anger? That has been so helpful to me to go deeper. What really am I feeling? I want to ask you this question. Where has been your journey to better understand your emotional state so that you are working on them rather than projecting them? Oh, my gosh. I think it's constant life is unfolding in a way that's letting me learn those things about myself. And I'm so grateful that I get to do the work that I do. And I suspect you feel this way too. It puts me in a position where I'm talking about it all of the time. I'm talking about my growth and how I'm feeling and what I'm doing to grow and to peel back the layers. And I'm doing exercises right alongside clients in workshops and one-on-one. -on -one. And so I just did a life review and it gave me new insight. And it's a good question I'd never thought of, but I think my work really helps to facilitate so much of my growth. I have recently, over the last few years, as a leadership development, as a coach and a facilitator, I have nothing to teach anyone about leadership because leadership development is self-development. And so my role is to work on me and to share my stories and 
in doing that, encourage and inspire other leaders to connect more with who they are. That's what coaching and leadership facilitation is. I think that self-discovery is the greatest gift that people can have because then it's theirs, right? It's not like, well, somebody with the greater knowledge brought it to me. You do have the knowledge and the experience you can help back up what you're bringing to life for themselves. But what a gift to be able to provide an opportunity for self-discovery. Yeah. And isn't that what life is? That's why we're here, right? To have an experience and to create using the gifts that we come into this world with. And so learning, what are those gifts? And how can I be more of an expression of those things? Because that's when we feel fired up and ready to go and in flow when we're using those. That's the key. I have a question for you. I want to go back to feeling your feelings. Something I really struggled with is balancing feeling my feelings and choosing a thought that is more aligned with what I want because I don't want to stay in the shitty place. Because I know that what I'm thinking about and focusing on is shaping my experiences. So how long do I feel a feeling? I think that it's not a bad idea to be like, I'm going to take five minutes and just let myself sit in the shit and feel it. Because there's lots of evidence that emotional health affects physical health. And if we don't allow ourselves to process an emotion, it gets stuck somewhere. You know, that knee pain that we got, that may just be the shame we've been hiding for a little while. It's not woo-woo. It's interesting to look at medical journals that are saying we can tell when emotional health affects physical health. So I think give yourself space to feel it. When I do have the feeling or the emotion, I might just say, what am I supposed to know from this? Or how is this serving me right now? And how is it not serving me right now? And there's some feeling that goes in, but there's also some curiosity. So I'm not trying to just cognitively fix it, but I'm trying to listen. What is this fear giving me right now? It's giving me a chance to not move beyond my comfort zone because I'm feeling fearful about this thing. And so it's trying to keep me safe. Okay, fear. Whew, we're going to be okay. And it's almost like we can feel it, but we can coach through it as well. What I'm working on is not having combative gratitude. And combative gratitude is where we play whack-a-mole with the negative emotions with gratitude. I'm feeling like an imposter right now. Who am I? I should be doing more. I da-da-da. And we pick up the whack-a-mole little like bat and we go, nope, but I have so much to be grateful for. And we're like, bang, and we just shove it down. And instead, I think we can do both, right? It's honor the emotion and let it be felt. And then we're like, okay, but now let's talk ourselves into what is true and what is really reality. And then we can walk ourselves to that more gracious state, that better perception, but we still leave room. There's a roomy poem, but it's basically about allowing all the emotions in. It's a really beautiful poem. And that's what I keep in mind is like every emotion is valuable and we need to invite them all in. That is hugely helpful for me. What I hear in that is it's what you do in the five minutes of sitting in it. It's how you're looking at it. I mean, you're looking at it from such a growth mindset. What can I learn here? I'm going to be curious about you. Part of my challenge in sitting at it is I can dwell and start to create a really negative storyline and make shit up. And the next thing you know, I've taken this bad situation and made it so much worse. But it's not that. No, I'm going to pay attention to the feeling. What is this feeling telling me? 
Where is it coming from? What's the message in it? How can I surround it in love? I could be feeling pain, but try to surround it in love or sorrow or embarrassment and just hold it with that love of like, you know, you're safe here and what's going on. And again, I think of it like parenting our kiddos, kind of parenting those emotions. And I don't have all of the answers, but hopefully that's a, a healthier way for us to process and make friends with them. That's so true. So good. You just said I don't have all the answers. And yet you have so much insight and so much wisdom. Not only do you have a lot of insight and wisdom, you communicate that in such a helpful way for people. So I'm curious when you're walking around your house, because we are all walking around as the lead character in our own story. And I want to know, like, what's going through your head in the moments between communicating? Do you have patterns of thought that are there? What's going on in your head as you're walking around in your day? Oh, it's a roller coaster ride up in here, sister. It's like the movie Inside Out. It's the ups and downs. And I have all kinds of characters. And we've lovingly in my office refer to the voice in the head as Jerry. And I think of Jerry like your ego and it's the internal narrator and it's got an opinion about everything. And so it's a lot of telling Jerry to shut the hell up. That's a lot of what it looks like. It's a lot of noticing like, oh, that's interesting. Where did that thought come from? Or did this emotion come up first and then the thought got attached or was the thought there first and it triggered the emotion? There's a lot of curiosity and there's definitely moments of becoming it where I'm like in it. I'm like, oh, that's right, Jerry. Amy and Jerry, one and the same. And then I realize, like, oh, wait, that's not me. And I suspect because you have practices where you've created a lot of awareness in your life. So I suspect you can pick up on that pretty quickly, that that's not me. That's Jerry. I don't know what how quickly it is. I think over time, here's how I measure it. And I'm so curious to hear for you as well and the practices that you've developed. What's so fascinating, and as I'm writing this book, sister, I was voted drama queen in high school. And I used to think that problems validated my existence. It gave me something to talk about. It gave me something to feel immensely frustrated with. And so there were definitely times that I had shitty years. And then through the work, it would be like, oh, that was just a shitty month. And then it was like, oh, a shitty week. And now what I realize is I cannot think of the last time I had a shitty day because it becomes moments and maybe it's an hour. I'm not saying it's perfection here, but it's not that the shit goes away. It's just we attach to it less often. I've definitely had down moments. And there's ups and downs and seasons, but I wouldn't be like, oh, today was such a bad, a terrible day. Yeah, because you didn't allow it to be. Well, and you recognize that the day is a moment after a moment. And in the next moment, it can be very different. So what's been your process with that of managing what's happening and then the shortening or like that cycle for getting yourself back regulated or to a more ideal space? I find so much of my day is about how I start my day. My routine is always just connection with God. I pray. And so I start every single day, even before I get out of bed, in prayer and gratitude. I have a dear friend. Every morning we send our gratitude to each other because it can get very like, oh, God, what am I grateful for today? And so like this morning, like not all mornings, but this morning, after I emailed Kim, those three things, I sat with those for a minute and I just felt it. My daughter is moving into her first apartment today down in Bloomington. She's a senior at IU. And so I'm just so grateful for her. So 
I just visualized her in her apartment and just transitioning to adulthood. And I felt so good and so uplifted. And so I'm trying to feel the gratitude in the morning. That has been really helpful for me. If I start my day in that good place, then when the shit pops up, I'm just so much more equipped to navigate the shit. The shit doesn't affect me. It doesn't get stuck to me as much as it does on the days when I haven't given myself that time to prepare. It's like batting practice. I've done some batting practice and I'm ready for the game. So when I get the fastball that I didn't expect, I'm ready for it. Are there some other things that become your formula for good when we're like, there is a formula for me feeling good. And it's also my daily practice of resilience because y'all resilience is a daily act. It is not like, oh, I built resilience and I'm good forever. So it sounds like it's prayer. It's gratitude. What else is in that bucket for you of must do's to feel great? I think it's such an important question for everyone. And so anyone listening, what is it that fills you up? So something for me, I am a natural encourager and acknowledging the good I see in others gives me such a lift. And so I take time. If someone looked beautiful on a webinar, I'm going to tell them that. If I listened to Amy's podcast and I got a nugget and I was inspired, I'm going to tell her that. And it's selfish because I do it for me. It gives them a lift, no doubt, but it does me too. I think you can't recognize a strength in someone else that you don't see in yourself. And so it's reminding and it's also uplifting. You are the best at that, by the way. So I once heard that charisma is when other people feel better about themselves in your presence. And Andrea has this gift that when you are with her, you're like, wow, I just feel so good about myself. And that is such a gift you give to the world. I love that you know that about yourself, that you are a natural encourager and it does come out so well, but it rises all tides. It lifts you up, lifts everybody else up. I'm grateful for that, to get that from you, friend. I think the thing that's interesting, though, about some of these practices, though, is for me, it is really energy giving to encourage others, but not for everyone. So I think we've all got to find our own systems, our own habits that fill our buckets and lift us up and then be disciplined about doing those things. Going back in time, I think back before I owned this practice and had this inside out, I definitely was a person that life just happens and I respond to it. I had no idea that life was responding to me, <laughs> not the other way around. But I have not been aware enough to know that there was a formula for good because I would have given outside things credit for that. I would have said all the lights were green on my way to work today and somebody in front of me paid for my cup of coffee and all of my meetings went well and they were on time. But in truth, that is in response to who you chose to be in the first five minutes when you woke up. Do you remember that shift of I have the power to affect my day rather than my day fully affects me. Do you know when you got that lesson? Yeah, I do think I have always at some level intuitively gotten that. My mom will tell me stories about, I wasn't using the words personal responsibility and taking ownership, but I have always encouraged that. And think about like, you know, in high school, the kids that, that won the awards and got the, the popularity contest and homecoming queen, it was because they were nice kids. The way you smile at the world, the world will smile back. I just always naturally gotten that. And then in college, being a psych major, 
I remember reading the Celestine Prophecy that's all about the law of attraction and shaping your life. And then someone introduced me to Abraham Hicks, and it's always been a part of how I look at the world. And I do think we naturally will align the things we see in life to our beliefs. And so even in my Christian faith, I think Jesus's teachings are all aligned with you are creating your life with source all of the time. It's interesting to hear how like one thing feeds into everything else. And so I'm just curious about your take as a leader and leading a team. And obviously you're in front of leaders all the time, but where would you say that this has helped strengthen the capacity of the work that you're able to do? And I know you mentioned the work I do teaches me how to practice this more, but the practice you've done, how has that empowered you as a leader? Oh, gosh, it's everything. We haven't talked about the power of relationships, but at this point in my career, led lots of teams. For me, it is all about the relationship and the connection with the people on my team. So, you know, you and I, we've talked a lot about self, knowing self. And I think our relationships are as strong as the self connection that we have. I think about leaders who really struggle in relationships. They don't have a relationship with self. They don't have confidence or trust or love for themselves. So, of course, they're not going to bring that to others. Yeah, I think what also happens is that we expect the world to fill the holes that we have not provided for ourselves. And so it's almost like this journey from whole, H-O-L-E, to whole, W-H-O-L-E. That's how I think of it. And the more I need from the world or the people around me to act and behave in a certain way, holding them responsible for my happiness, the more I do that for others, the more that is feedback that I'm not giving it to myself. So if I'm not getting the praise from someone and I'm like, they don't acknowledge my work and they don't appreciate me, you know what? It's not about them. I am seeing that specific situation and creating that story because it's something I don't believe for myself. If I think someone's taking advantage of me and they don't appreciate me and they just whatever, is that true? Or do I think that's what I'm worth having? And so I do believe that our relationships are our greatest teachers. The world is our mirror that tells us what am I missing within that because I'm expecting it to be filled with something outside of me. And the more whole we are, W-H-O-L-E, the more we can connect deeply and love people. And that's no wonder people feel so loved and seen in your presence because you've put the work in, friend. Well, I would say I'm doing the work. I think it's a constant, right? It's never a like, check, done. I've reached enlightenment. Exactly. Right. It's an everyday personal challenge for each of us. But yeah, I think that's beautiful. That's really well said. I think my capacity to love and to give to others really starts with my loving myself and accepting myself and knowing myself. Because isn't it interesting that the relationship with self is really the only constant in our lives? From birth to death, my daughter's a huge Taylor Swift fan, and I wasn't before I went to the concert. We went to the Ares tour, and now I'm just blown away. I think she's such a phenom. There's a song, You're on Your Own Kid, and it's all about that. You've always got yourself, and just that coming back to who am I? What's important to me? How am I showing up? How am I creating it? How am I shaping it? Again, so empowering. At the end of the day, that's what we've got always. And isn't that cool that regardless of circumstance, situation, who's around us, 
we always get to choose. That's been a big epiphany to me. Wow, I'm so grateful for the folks I've met along the way because they've helped shape me so much. This literally just occurred to me. And the last six months, I'm pretty sure I was walking in my house drinking my coffee when all of a sudden it like smacked me upside the head. Oh my God, I am stuck with me every second of every day for my entire life. From birth till death, I am my only guarantee. Holy shit, I better really like me. And as we get older, I will be 49 in February. And so things are changing. And the evolution I'm having right now is, oh, I'm not my body. I'm not my hair. I'm not my skin. I am the still small voice within that has always been there and will always be there. That's what I love. That's what I want to connect with. So it makes the aging process much easier. I don't know if this happens for you, Andrea, but I'll meditate and I say that I must tune in. It's almost like the antennas are tuning in to some channel of wisdom that is far beyond what I am because I will start to write And I know it's not my voice because there's not enough F-bombs and curse words in it. That's definitely not me. (laughs) But there was some wisdom that came through that was basically like, you will be shown who you truly are based on what you value fades. The new car you just bought becomes old a year after it sat in your driveway. And we begin to age. And the lesson that came through was everything we believe value brings us value or substantiates us eventually becomes old, dusty, and crusty, including this little body that we carry around every day. So I love that still small voice within that is who we truly are. That's the constant that we always feel throughout our life. And what's cool about that is every single human being walking around has that little inner love, that little inner knowing, that little inner being. What a testament that when we learn how to connect and love to that, that it makes everything else better. We are better leaders. Personal development is professional development. There is no difference between the two. We bring our whole ass self everywhere that we go, whether we like it or not. And it does enrich so many other things in life, including the people who get to experience life with us. It's enriching for them as well. So what a gift. You know, and it's interesting you say that. Even how we delineate sales training from leadership development. And isn't it all connected? It all is because it's all about you and how you're showing up in the world and who you want to be and what your goals are. And I think it's all connected. We've created all of these ways in which to name things, but really it's all just life and evolution and growth. Call it what you want. It's simple. We tend to complicate things, don't we? We want to put a name on it. We want to categorize it. Well, I'm curious about what you're reading right now. What are you picking up? What are you loving? What's enriching you? So this summer, I did a lot of fiction, basically took the month of July off, which was amazing and so uplifting and renewing. And so a couple of books that jump out to me, I like Oprah's selections because I know they're well vetted and I'm like, it's got to be good. And I like Reese Witherspoon. So her book this summer was Cassandra in Reverse. And Oprah's was The Covenant of Water. Oh, holy shit, that book. It's huge. It's a 715-page book. It covers a family over a century. It's so good. There's so much family challenge and growth and life stuff. And just the characters are really rich. It's written by a doctor who has authored a lot of books. So it's got a lot of medical influence as well. 
I just loved it. I loved that. Have you gotten through it? You read all 700 pages? I did. In a week. I took it to Michigan. So I had literally like eight or nine hours in the car. I'm a car reader. I can read. No problem in the car. So yeah, I got it read in a week. What are you reading right now? Okay, so some of the things that are on my Audible, because I am an Audible girl. I'm really digging a couple of books by Benjamin Hardy. One of those is Be Your Future Self Now. And the concept of this book, I saw him speak at a conference back in March, but it's really stuck with me. Basically, what he recommends is if you can imagine your highest, best self in the future of who you'd like to be and where you'd like to be and all of that, what are they doing? How are they doing? It's the visioning that we've all learned, right? Who are they? What are they? But I thought what really stuck out to me was he talked about borrowing that person's belief and behaviors. So I've got some great big dreams, right? I've got my dream board right here in front of me as we speak. I can see it. And I'm like, man, if I were her right now, the one living this life on my dream board, would I be worrying about this thing? Would I be stressed about this meeting? Would I feel nervous walking into this room? Or how would I borrow her belief or her confidence in herself? That's been powerful. And then his other book is 10x is easier than 2x. I think they go so well together because then it's like, what does that big life future self possibly look like if I were operating at 10x in my business? So yeah, those have been fun reads. Oh, yeah. Benjamin Hardy. I'm going to check out both of those. Mm -hmm. I particularly resonate with the first one, too. I forget who said it, but I stole the language from someone, but casting a vote for your future self. And it's that same concept of what would the future version of me do right now. I'm also curious because books, that's always top of mind. You and I are probably always reading on behalf of our clients too, to be like, this is the next thing and all of that. But what are you noticing is trending in leadership at the moment? People are so tired. Literally in the last few business days, I have heard, I'm so tired. I've also heard a lot, this sentiment of, I don't know what I want or where to start, but I know I want something different. There's a lot of unrest right now. And now a lot of these conversations are coming because people are seeking coaching. And so naturally, but yeah, just, I'm just hearing that a lot. And even in my friend groups too, I'm hearing that. I think that happens on the precipice of the comfort zone progression where it's like comfort, fear, learning, growth. You know, I think people are realizing they want something different. And so they're dancing between that fear, learning. The learning stage can be super uncomfortable too, right? It's kind of like brushing your teeth with your opposite hand. It just feels weird and something doesn't quite feel aligned and it's the messy middle. And we know we have the desire, but we don't have the clarity. And so I'm noticing that as well, where people do feel maybe a little burnout for sure. We've heard that over the last few years, apathetic, just not knowing. And I think lack of clarity to your point of like, I want something different. I just don't know what it looks like. What advice are you giving them? Yeah, well, I'm just applauding them because I think it's in that confusion. You're right. So you've got the courage right now to say it. So you're not denying it. You're birthing something new. And so, of course, it feels awkward. And then having a safe space to process through that, to struggle with that, to take a step back and really think about what do I want? What's important to me? I don't know about you, but I have found whenever people say, I don't know what I want, really? Let's sit in that for a moment. Or is it you're afraid to declare it? I think that's a big one. Our mutual friend, Desiree Garcia, 
I remember we were in a mastermind group once and it was before I had started Conscious Habit, but I knew Conscious Habit was on the precipice. I knew it was coming, but I was scared to claim it. I was scared to say this is the next thing that I feel like I meant to be doing. I was, oh, I'm confused and I don't really know. And I was him hawing and she just looked at me directly in the face and she said, what are you pretending not to know right now? And I was like, damn it. And she was right. You're afraid to claim it. I think that's such a good point, Andrea. Yeah. And having someone that's willing to help you through that. I always ask on the Conscious Habit podcast, I ask every single guest that comes on what their definition of consciousness is, because we interview conscious leaders and you are definitely that somebody who gives a damn and works on yourself. And so how does that word resonate with you? What is the meaning of consciousness for Andrea? So immediately two things pop up. It'll be interesting as I'm sharing this to see the connection. And maybe it's because you talked about a Rumi poem earlier that this popped up immediately for me. But my favorite Rumi quote is, out beyond right thinking and wrong thinking, there is a space. I will meet you there. Oh, I love that space. Consciousness is being freed up. It's not being limited by right, wrong, rules, this way, that way, black, white thinking out beyond. So that's the first thing that popped up. Right behind that, another thing popped up for me. I am often sitting in silly meetings, like a lot of times in the boardroom, where people are just talking about the stupidest shit. And I have this feeling of, what are we doing? I think that's a level of consciousness. There's something in that reminding me that this is not the conversation that needs to be had. I love that Rumi quote. I've never heard that before. That's really beautiful, which reminds me the Rumi poem I was referencing earlier is called The Guest House. Oh, yes, I love that. I have this one of my favorite books. It's a compilation of poems, and it's called Love Poems from God. And the guest house is in there. And near the guest house, it's a Hafiz. Do you know Hafiz? He was also a Sufi poet. And this is so good. I just have to share now that I'm thinking about this. Hafiz says that God and I are like two giant fat people in a tiny little boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. (laughs) Is that not great? I mean, it's one of those you have to process, but I feel like that so well depicts my relationship with God. God and I are like two giant fat people on a tiny little boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. I love the playfulness in that. It's just just a reminder that this is a human experience. I can't really mess it up. It's a gift to create and be joyful and to love and be in relationship. And I'm learning a lot along the way. Enjoy the ride. I have loved our time. Me too. You are such a gift. Thank you for what you're doing. Same to you, sister. Thank you. Heartfelt, big, passionate. Thank you. You're such a easy person to talk to. This could be a five-hour podcast, but (laughs) we'll spare people that (laughs) 700-page option. (laughs) It would be good, though. It would be good. You referenced your book earlier. So what's the timing? Like, when can we expect this book? Because we're all going to be waiting. I know. So I'm in the book proposal stage. And so it is book proposal. Then we take it to publishers. We see who and where it gets picked up and what publishing options we end up taking. And so it'll be out soon enough, but I'm enjoying the process. 
That's great. Well, I want to have you back on Being at Work after the book comes out so you can talk through the book and talk about the leadership lessons from the book. I would love that. And what's going on with you? What do you want the Conscious Habit listeners to know about, Andrea? Where do they find you? We know your podcast is going to be plugged here. But what else exciting is happening for you? Yeah. So hrdleadership.com is our website. We have a lot of public leadership development programming we're doing right now. So I released HR Kit for Dummies in March. And so I'm talking a lot about the evolution of the HR and talent function, which has been a lot of fun. I don't know if you're a For Dummies follower, but there's over 339 For Dummies books. So it's fun to be a part of that. Wiley is the publisher. That was a fun process and experience. And the last HR Kit for Dummies was written in 2008. So the whole process was so much research around just the evolution since 2008. It was really more of a rewrite than it was an update of the book. And so I've been just talking a lot about that evolution and really enjoying that. Well, how needed for anybody in HR, because the world has changed. HR has changed. 2020 in and of itself probably added a decade's worth of changing to that HR world. So very cool. Very cool project. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. This has been fun. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story. 